Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary peoples alike, you know what that music means. It's time for another amazing, fan-tabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 68. Hope everybody is doing amazing and fantabulous on this Sunday morning, the Sunday of the Masters, if everyone and anyone is interested in golf. Um, And it's funny that I brought that up because the first thing I just wanted to touch on briefly is that we're kind of in this weird place in sports, right? Where all the sports are going on. We've got NFL draft coverage because football is going on year-round. Like, football is just a year-round sport at this point. You've got the NBA. You've got the MLB. You've got the NHL. You've got golf going on. You've got a UFC fight night. You've got a WrestleMania. Like, everything's going on. But nothing is interesting. It's that weird place in sports, right? Everything is going on, but nothing that's going on is really intriguing or capturing the attention of the masses. Like, for example, the big storylines of the last two days are that Joe Musgrove threw the first no-hitter in the history of the San Diego Padres, and that Hideki Matsuyama is leading at the Masters, or that Ennis Cantor pulled down 30 rebounds, and to be honest, I don't really want to do the show that talks about Joe Musgrove's no-hitter, as excited as I am as a Padres fan to have witnessed the first no-hitter in the history of the Padres. Took me 20 years, but to be fair, it's taken a lot of franchises 20 years. It's not the same feeling for me as someone who's maybe gone 50 years of mediocre Padres baseball waiting for someone to throw a no-hitter. And then, of course, Joe Musgrove throws the no-hitter on his off night when he said that he had gone through a really bad routine before the game and just said, hey, we're just going to go out here and we're going to pitch. But he also has a 31-inning hitless streak right now. And the Padres have... I, I find the two reasons behind it. One, the Padres have never been this good. And two, the Rangers have never been this bad. That offense was putrid for the Texas Rangers. But that's the big storyline. So I'm not super interested in diving deep other than that minute on Joe Musgrove's no-hitter or Hideki Matsuyama's six-under back 11, technically, post-rain delay at the Masters. And I'm not super interested in talking about Enos Cantor pulling down 30 rebounds for the Portland Trailblazers as they march to try and capture the elusive fifth seed from the Los Angeles Lakers, who are definitely better than them no matter what. It is not really something that intrigues me over the top. And so what's interesting about this time in sports is that everything is going on, but nothing is grabbing our attention because 
Baseball is 10 games in, and even I have said, oh my god, this is going to be so long of a season. Because last year we were used to the condensed 60-game season that every game mattered that much more. And it was crazy to me to realize that had baseball been a 60-game season, we would have already been a sixth of the way through the season, and you could hold on to each game and say, oh my god, the Padres are 7-3 and three and the Angels are 6-2. and two but the athletics are one and six. You could have held on to each result and how amazing it changed the game because, hey, we're already a sixth of the way into the season, but instead we're only a tenth of the way into the season. It's the equivalent, or I'm sorry, we're a sixteenth of the way into the season instead of a sixth of the way into the season. We're the equivalent of one regular season NFL game and... The, M- the MLB is going on for a while. It's the same thing with the NBA because the NBA went with a full 82-game schedule. I googled when the NBA playoffs started. I was like, okay, we're probably like three weeks out, four weeks out. We're freaking six weeks from the start of the NBA playoffs. So that put a little dent. This would be the equivalent of when like post-All-Star break is right now. And there is n- almost nothing more boring than March basketball in the NBA because we already know who the great teams are. The trade deadline has already passed, but we don't really know who is uh, which teams are going to be what seeds. So it's not quite the playoff race where you have to start tuning in to see who's going to be what seeds, but it's also far enough out where we can already know who the good teams are. We know Brooklyn's the best team in the East. We know Milwaukee and Philadelphia are going to have an epic seven-game series in the second round, and Brooklyn's going to beat whatever Cody Zeller comes their way in the second round. So we're just kind of in this weird place in sports, and what am I going to do? Create six minutes of content out of being in the weird place in sports right now, where the thing to get excited about is the Hornets are the the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, but hey, the Knicks were just the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. And now they're the 10th seed in the Eastern Conference. And the Hawks are the 5th seed, which, by the way, I am a big believer in Warriors of the South. So I will always take the moment to acknowledge that the Hawks are 5th in the East, even though it simply does not matter that the Atlanta Hawks are the 5th seed in the Eastern Conference. So... That's the weird place we're in, and I'm going to create six minutes of content out of talking about Cantor's 30-point, or I'm sorry, Cantor's 30-rebound game for the Portland Trailblazers, or Hideki Matsuyama leading at the Masters, or Joe Musgrove's no-hitter. It's not the podcast I want to do, but I can talk for an entire segment about not wanting to do that kind of podcast while secretly doing that kind of podcast. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary people alike, this is our yearly tradition here on the Take It Easy podcast, and we're going to bring that tradition over here to Wired Up episode 68. Around this time in the NFL post-free agent process, when at this time last year there were no sports due to COVID, but at this point there may, not, there may be sports, but there aren't really sports that we want to talk about or interesting stories from sports that have piqued my interest. Other than Jay Williams' book, Life is Not an Accident, which you should absolutely check out. I finished that book over the weekend. Absolutely should check out that book. It's really 
it's an it's a genuinely unbelievable story so if you're looking for a great story check out that book with that being said no better time than the present to bring back after eight minutes into this podcast and for many of you this is probably why you're here the quarterback tiers list every offseason we create the quarterback tiers list and this year is no exception we're doing it a little later than last year on April 11th, but we have our official quarterback tiers list in our grasp, and we are going to work today. Now, we are going to pull up last year's list and review some of the major comparisons to last year's list and uh, reevaluate where some people fell, some people rose, and we can actually do that for the first time since our categories are the same as they have been in years past. So without further ado, here is our quarterback tiers list for 2021 NFL season. All right, so for those who are new to the show, and you probably are over this long period of time, here are the categories that we have for our quarterback tiers list. So the tiers are broken down this way. We have tier one slash elite quarterbacks, tier two quarterbacks, tier three quarterbacks, too early to call on the quarterbacks. So for whatever their reasons, young quarterbacks, for whatever their situation, too soon to tell whether they'll be, what tier they fit into. We need more of a sample size. Quarterback purgatory, which I love this idea that uh, it's a lot of just tier three quarterbacks that are stuck in situations that aren't good for either the quarterback or the team, and they're kind of headed in the back end of their career. I love the quarterback purgatory category, where your team is stuck in quarterback purgatory. Uh, fringe starters and backups. Those are our categories for the take it easies. Well, I guess it's just my quarterback tiers. And I've always decided tiers are the best way to evaluate things because it's kind of dumb to evaluate every player on this person is the eighth best player instead of this person being the eighth best player. This person is the 17th best player. Even though it fills a lot of content, it's just something I don't want to do with my time and have these frivolous arguments about whether Justin Herbert is the 12th best quarterback or the 10th best quarterback, even though none of us have a large enough sample size to evaluate how good Justin Herbert actually is. So with that being said, let's start at the very top of the list. These are our tier one quarterbacks for 2021. There are four quarterbacks in the tier one list. One of them included may not be playing in 2021, but we still included him on the list. That would be Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, and Lamar Jackson. Those are our tier one quarterbacks. And the most interesting one, obviously Mahomes is great. Aaron Rodgers is great. Um, Deshaun Watson is obviously elite on the field. The idea that he only won four games last year is just one a combination of bad luck and an indictment on everything that the Houston Texans are. But obviously, he also has his legal troubles at this time, which is something we can acknowledge at the same time. Deshaun Watson, obviously elite. Um, Lamar Jackson is obviously the interesting one. And Lamar Jackson is 
someone last year I had put in the tier two because I said, well, we definitely need a larger sample size. Ironically, I was also the person who put Carson Wentz in tier two, but said when healthy Carson Wentz can be a tier one quarterback. And for those who are wondering, last year's list uh, had Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, those same three, along with Russell Wilson, and at the time, Drew Brees, which obviously was a bit of a mistake, but he's just not on the list at all anymore if I felt I had to put a fifth quarterback in there. Um, but that was right around the time when Drew Brees was starting to tail off, which, as we can see, you tail off very quickly in this sport. Um, anyways, so with that being said, back to, uh, back to our wired up list. Um, Lamar Jackson was interesting because he was at the top of tier two last year. And I simply said, well, we need a larger sample size from Lamar Jackson. And the thing that people found strange is that people did come back down to earth on Lamar Jackson. They did tame themselves on Lamar Jackson. And I looked at that and I said, why are you coming back down to earth on Lamar Jackson? Like Lamar Jackson was very clearly, oh yeah, no question, he's an elite quarterback. Like, did if were we watching? Obviously, the statistics are not great on Lamar Jackson, but it really made the passing statistics last year. But it just made me wonder: Are we watching the same game here, or are we just reading statistics and saying no, Lamar Jackson's not great? Like, dude, Lamar Jackson is elite. Like that was one of the, last year Lamar Jackson was the same Lamar Jackson from the MVP season post a little bit of a break because he would he had a covid outbreak and because of that game that we all watched on national TV where he got smacked by the the uh, Kansas City Chiefs like I said it at the time Lamar Jackson's going to not get the recognition he deserves because of that so they got smacked on national TV they lost uh, with you know the, the combo of Trace McSorley and all these other guys because Lamar Jackson had COVID and they lost to the Patriots on a snowing game in Foxborough. A, a downpour rain and borderline snowing sleet game in Foxborough where they just neither team could move the ball through the air. So those were three of the Ravens' losses last year. When they won, they just dominated. The idea that that team last year with that passing offense and the losses that they had on defense, even though their defense finished, I believe, fourth in the league last year, that it was a lot of the end of the season that helped come out. The idea that that team could be one of the six best teams in the sport at the end of the season is just dumbfounding. And it's almost entirely Lamar Jackson. I was not going to say it's all Lamar Jackson. It's almost entirely Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, I have seen enough of a sample size to know that man is an elite quarterback and that man is just dumbfoundingly good. Uh, Lamar Jackson was a tier two guy last year. I said I wanted to pump the brakes and give a minute to just take more sample size in. And last year was the sample size I needed to just know okay, 2019 was not like a fluke or a regression because minus the passing statistics, Lamar Jackson, and even with an ineffective passing game, Lamar Jackson was almost the same player he was last year, which was for a time the Baltimore Ravens being utterly unbeatable. They weren't quite that last year, but it was almost hard to replicate just how good they were in 2019. So Lamar Jackson very easily gets to be in the elite 
category on our quarterback tiers list. So next up on this list, we have the tier two quarterbacks. And the tier two quarterbacks are, there's four deep on the tier two quarterbacks, which are Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, and Kyler Murray. Well, let's talk about this for a second. Russell Wilson, first and foremost, Russell Wilson is in an interesting, interesting place right now as a quarterback. Russell Wilson is obviously very, very good. And last year, he probably should have been in the elite category. He was in the tier two category, but he probably should have been in the elite category coming off of the season that Russell Wilson had last year. And I'm sorry, Russell Wilson, sorry, I had a brain fart there. Russell Wilson was in the elite category last year. Um, I don't know why I did that. Russell Wilson was in the elite category last year. But Russell Wilson is now, even last year, and even with all the concerns about him leaving Seattle, which have now been put to bed because Russell Wilson won't request a trade until next offseason when they head towards an amicable breakup next March. But as I like to say, if the Seahawks are staying together for the children at this point, Russell Wilson is in this interesting place where he is really, really good, but also really, really inconsistent. And I don't have a ton of the passing statistics to back it up, but the thing that I just remember from last year was seeing all those interceptions and seeing his QBR dip around week eight of the season and the Seahawks for reasons that I don't think were justified getting scared around the idea of Russell Wilson. They were getting scared around the idea that he was going to throw interceptions and he had seven in a two game stretch and they kind of revoked the let Russ cook pass for a little bit after we did back in October, the second place to Russell Wilson MVP awards, which by the way, we had Aaron Rodgers as the second place to Russell Wilson in the MVP, which leads me to believe that Russell Wilson, if we were that dead confident at the time, and we're pretty rational people when it comes to evaluating football, the best way to phrase it is that Russell Wilson kind of fell apart at the end of the season, where he threw like 11 interceptions in the last half of the season, and that's never something Russell Wilson does, is throw tons of interceptions. Like, Russell Wilson played bad for a time. So Russell Wilson gets to be the king of the tier two category. And if I wanted to extend being elite to five quarterbacks like people have done in the past, where the arbitrary number is five, then maybe I would. But in this case, Russell Wilson gets to kind of be in the tier two category at this point. Um, I love the way that Gridiron Heights made the joke that his generation is Drew Brees, where he's not going to win the MVP, but he's never been the best. Russell Wilson is... Never quite been Brady. Well, he's technically, he's been better than Brady, but he's never quite been better than Rodgers. He's never quite been better than now Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, even though for a time him and Deshaun Watson were probably in the same tier of quarterback. Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen, same thing as Lamar Jackson last year. Just need a larger sample size. Nothing Josh Allen could have done in a single season would have had me putting him in the elite category. It's just, there's nothing Josh Allen could have done last year, but he did as close to possible as you can get to being in the conversation. And very easily, with one more just dominating season next year, Josh Allen, move up into the elite category with Lamar Jackson. Like, no ifs, no ands, no buts, but they're just, 
Josh Allen, it's as simple as it's not saltiness that I was wrong about Josh Allen. Uh, it's not that, remember I said that they would go 6-10 and 10 and replace Josh Allen was my bold prediction of the season. That obviously did not come true. Josh Allen had the greatest single season increase in the history of the NFL. A completion percentage went from 30th to 7th in the NFL. Threw 100 more yards, 10 more touchdowns, and obviously improved his completion percentage 15 points. And the Bills went to the AFC Championship game with the foundation of the offense because their defense was like 15th in the league. So they, they built that team off the foundation of the offense. There was just simply nothing Josh Allen could have done that would have had me putting him in the elite category after one season. Just the sample sizes are too small, even through a 16-game season where he threw 380 yards, four touchdowns, and completed 88% of his passes. It's just simply need a larger sample size than what we saw last year to officially evaluate Josh Allen. It, like I said, nothing Josh Allen could have done would have got him to Tier 1. So he did everything and more that could have gotten him to this point. Uh, Dak Prescott, pre-injury, and I assume we'll see the same Dak Prescott post-injury, is absolutely like this guy who is teetering on the edge of special but can do things no other quarterback can do. He kind of reminds me of what Cam Newton was for a time. Not where they have the same skill sets, but that Dak Prescott is doing things that only Dak Prescott and maybe Deshaun Watson can do. Like, I guess the equivalent for Dak Prescott at this point is Deshaun Watson light. And he got his contract extension. He's going to come back from injury. He's going to be the Cowboys quarterback. They're going to go 9-7. and seven. But as long as Dak Prescott gets back to the form he was at before, where he can complete 65% of his passes, have 4,000 yards, and throw for 20 touchdowns while staying around 7 or 8 interceptions... Yeah, that's definitely a Tier 2 level quarterback. Um, and Dak Prescott obviously always has the running threat to elevate his team. So Dak Prescott gets to be in Tier 2, which I think is a change from last year because Dak Prescott last year was the head of Tier 3. Dak Prescott was like leading the charge at the top of Tier 3 with Kirk Cousins and Big Ben. So this is Dak Prescott technically moving up a tier. And a lot of that has to do with everyone else kind of falling backwards on this list. Is that Dak Prescott moves up to Tier 2, and down to Tier 3 goes Tom Brady. But Tom Brady is kind of just Tom Brady at this point. He's just a whole nother category. So, Dak Prescott is there. And I move Kyler Murray from the still-developing category to the Tier 2 category. And I think a lot of this has to do with projectability. Is that Kyler Murray might be a little bit of a gamble. But seeing the quarterbacks in Tier 3, they don't remind me of anything that Kyler Murray possesses at this point. Kyler Murray is very much up there in the Tier 2 category, and a lot of it, like I said, has to do with the projectability of Kyler Murray's game over time. So it should be interesting to watch this next season play out for Kyler Murray, because we've seen two seasons of him, and he obviously looks to be unbelievably special like he looks to be just a remarkable remarkable talent and it's going to be interesting to see what his projectability looks like over the next however many years it might be you know two seasons or three seasons um whether or not it's still cliff kingsbury because the thing i keep saying with the cardinals is the cardinals have a built-in fall guy and having a built-in fall guy is going to make your life ridiculously easier when you decide to move on from said fall guy. 
Um, when you have someone ready-made to take the blame, uh, it takes a lot of the pressure off of, you know, trying to have the stresses of the season, unless you're a huge Cliff Kingsbury guy and don't see the writing on the wall in Arizona. So those are the four quarterbacks in tier two. Now we move to tier number three. And we have in tier number three, technically Tom Brady, but Tom Brady's just kind of his own category of football player at this point. But Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, and Matt Ryan. And I think the reason Matt Ryan still gets to be here, even though I'm down on Matt Ryan right now, is that Matt Ryan was Tier 2 last year, and I don't think, like with Carson Wentz, who was also Tier 2 last year, that Matt Ryan has just kind of totally fallen off at this point, where it's just, there's nothing that he can do or anything that Matt Ryan can like do to fall farther than that, because he didn't have an awful season last year. The Falcons finally broke free of purgatory. They had a poor season. Matt Ryan's statistics looked a little bit worse as a byproduct of playing on a poor team. And to be honest, that's a perfect sign that Matt Ryan's a Tier 3 quarterback, is that as the team got suckier, Matt Ryan's numbers started to suck a little bit more. So it's the perfect sign that maybe last year Matt Ryan was a Tier 2 quarterback, and the Falcons were still going 8-8 eight and eight and 7-9 and nine and 9-7, nine and seven. and last year they finished the season winning 6 of their last 7 games, but or no, 6 of their last 8 games. But Matt Ryan is probably Tier 3. When you see numbers regress with the team regressing, Matt Ryan's probably that Tier 3 guy. Anyways, I'm not going to talk about Tom Brady because he's just such a weird case. Um, he's, he could honestly just be his own category, and I was debating at the end just putting a Tom Brady category, which is just, we just it's hard to explain it because he plays poorly a lot of the time, but he doesn't make a lot of the mistakes conducive to losing but he just has more it's unprecedented it's literally unprecedented so he could technically be his own category I'm just going to put him at the top of tier three um, Matthew Stafford obvious kind of he's been tier three for a while um, never quite able to break through that ceiling to tier two but Matthew Stafford is uh, certainly right there Matthew Stafford with one good season in LA could absolutely jump up a tier maybe switch places with Kyler Murray or something if things really go south in Arizona. But Kyler Murray looks to be better than these Tier 3 guys. Um, Ryan Tannehill. So Ryan Tannehill has always been the textbook definition of quarterback purgatory. That's always been Ryan Tannehill's place on this list. Is He is the textbook example when we talk about quarterback purgatory. And this is the interesting place that... Uh, Ryan, not Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill and Andy Dalton have always found themselves in. As Andy Dalton went down, Ryan Tannehill started to go up. And this is the tough, tough place that you find yourself in in these circumstances. Is just you, you are looking around and, you know, maybe... There's some sort of projectability for Ryan Tannehill going forward. But at this point, he just kind of feels like he has always been a QB purgatory guy. And now he's had back-to-back -back seasons where he's been close to a top seven quarterback. I think he was top seven last year in QBR. So Tannehill gets to be up there. 
with the projectability of the Dak Prescotts and the Kyler Murrays. Maybe he's the seventh best quarterback in the NFL, but even if Ryan Tannehill is the seventh best quarterback in the NFL, I don't think he's really a tier two kind of guy at this point. Uh, Kirk Cousins lives in tier three. Nobody knows how good Kirk Cousins is. Not even analytics guys. One of the funniest things I've ever heard was saying nobody knows how good Kirk Cousins is. And they asked Aaron Schatz, who runs the footballoutsiders.com website, and he said, we don't really know how good Kirk Cousins is either because he's just a very confusing quarterback. Baker Mayfield. So Baker Mayfield was one of those guys who for many, many years was still in the too early to call category. And him and Josh Allen were both in the too early to call category. And I was thinking about leaving Baker in that category, but I think Baker has worked his way up to tier three. Like I don't think Baker's going to go down further than the too early to tell category. We know Baker Mayfield is a franchise guy. Now, how much Baker's gonna get paid when his contract comes up, that's another conversation for another day. But we kinda know Baker Mayfield is better than the quarterback purgatory guys. So Baker Mayfield is kind of making his ascent. He'd probably be pretty good in the too early to tell category, but last year was telling because of the poor season the Browns were coming off of and seeing the level of success he personally had in the Stefanski system, not just the Browns and their number one rushing attack and their number one offensive line. Like the, the success that Baker Mayfield personally had once you gave him that offensive line and built a system around his strengths, uh, Baker Mayfield gets to be in that tier three for sure. Okay, I mentioned the too early to tell category. This is the too early to call category. So we have all three of the quarterbacks from this year's rookie, or from last year's rookie draft class. So Tua Tugavailoa, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. All of them, just not a large enough sample size. One season, not enough of a sample size, even for Justin Herbert, who threw 30 touchdowns last year and won Rookie of the Year. Still not a large enough sample size to determine who or what Justin Herbert is. Uh, Joe Burrow, same thing especially coming off the injury. Tua, I, I have more concerns about him than anyone else. And also, Daniel Jones. I'm willing to give him more of an opportunity to see if the Giants can build an offensive system around him and Saquon and his strengths of being the white Lamar Jackson. We'll see if they... Because right now, you look at him like Daniel Jones is... Or um, Drew Locke is just Daniel Jones with shittier teammates. And so... And this is kind of the uh, the example that you see with uh, Daniel Jones is just how do you, can they build the offense around him? Willing to give the benefit of the doubt for another season or maybe even more to try and figure out what Daniel Jones is. And Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold rounds out the too early to tell group. Um, this was even so before the Panthers trade. I said I just need more of an evaluation before I decide, hey, Sam Darnold, you're done. Uh, you're a fringe starter backup guy. Too early to call on Sam Darnold. Um, so those are the, the, not much of an elaboration, just it's a lot of product of being a rookie, needing a larger sample size. Daniel Jones, second year. Last year was a little bit of a wash, for the, or his rookie year was a little bit of a wash for the Giants. Um, so willing to give Daniel Jones more time um, and give the Giants a chance to build. Sam Darnold, even pre-Panthers trade, but even more so now post-Carolina Panthers trade. 
Uh, quarterback purgatory, my favorite category. Quarterback purgatory. It's the teams that your quarterback is too good to get rid of, but not good enough to help you do anything meaningful. Which, to be fair, QB purgatory guys and fringe starters can do really well. Ryan Tannehill went to the AFC Championship game the following year, still labeled him in quarterback purgatory. Now he gets to go up to Tier 3 after repeating the success he had the season before and living up to his contract billing. So Ryan Tannehill gets to go up there. But for a lot of these quarterback purgatory guys, they're really just Tier 3 quarterbacks in really bad situations and kind of up in the air with their teams. So quarterback purgatory is Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Cam Newton. Those are your four quarterbacks in quarterback purgatory, which is less than I guess it used to be because we used to have Mitch in quarterback purgatory. We used to have uh, Marcus Mariota in quarterback purgatory, Jameis Winston in quarterback purgatory. Um, Andy Dalton used to be in quarterback purgatory. And this is the interesting thing that we see with these quarterbacks is just for example, Derek Carr. Probably pretty controversial to put Derek Carr on this list. He looks like he's the 20th best quarterback, but that's not necessarily how quarterback purgatory works. Quarterback purgatory is just the situation more than the level of the quarterback. It's a very specific category that somehow applies to a lot of teams where they're kind of just stuck with the situation they have and they're just trying to make the best of it because they can't really obtain someone better, but they can't win with that person specifically carrying them to victory, apart from the two times a year that Derek Carr leads a team to victory like he did against the Kansas City Chiefs last year, or like he did uh, two years ago when they went into play Chicago and whooped up on the Chicago Bears. I think they actually played that game in London. But anyways... Um, Back to the game, or back to the game of quarterback tiers. Uh, Carson Wentz, he is obviously quarterback purgatory. He was in that with the Eagles. It was the most textbook example of quarterback purgatory imaginable. Now he goes to Indianapolis, and to be honest, Indianapolis is kind of the same situation with just less of a money hit because Carson Wentz is only making about 22 a year with the Indianapolis Colts, so it's just less financially stressful for them. But I keep hearing Jacob Eason's stories. I'm like, you're really not about to do this, are you? Like, if this is the thing. If things go south, if shit goes south, quit for that. Let's try that again. If shit goes south quick for the Indianapolis Colts, Carson Wentz is going to get benched because if he plays 75% of his snaps, that first-round pick becomes a first-round pick for the Colts instead of the second-round pick for the Colts. So if things go south quick, Jacob Eason is ready to take over. So now by virtue of Carson Wentz's trade and his contract situation, the Colts are in a perfect position where they can sit Carson Wentz. And he's, that's kind of the textbook definition of quarterback purgatory. Jimmy Garoppolo, even more obvious post-trade <laughs> post to uh, 
It's even more obvious post-Jimmy Garoppolo trade. Now, I think we had him in Tier 3 last year. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo was the last quarterback in Tier 3 last year before quarterback purgatory. Obviously, an injured season and your team planning to move on from you doesn't help. But Jimmy Garoppolo still is not a bum. He's not a fringe starter in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo being a backup would be kind of... uh, It would be bad because Jimmy Garoppolo would want one of these starting jobs, but a lot of teams are turning to the young guys because there's going to be five rookie quarterbacks this year, and there's five quarterbacks in the too early to tell category. Like, there's a lot of young quarterbacks who teams would choose them over signing a Jimmy Garoppolo. One of those teams happens to be the 49ers. So Garoppolo is kind of in the textbook form of purgatory. And kind of hand-in-hand here, Cam Newton, where... The Patriots are rolling with Cam Newton, even though they're looking for better options. Uh, but they, Jimmy Garoppolo and Cam Newton, I feel, is kind of a wash at this point. And uh, I think Cam Newton will look a whole lot better. Because don't forget, they were basically running the wishbone last year with no wide receiver help. And they won seven games with not that awesome a defense either. Won seven games last year. So the Patriots... Cam Newton could be really good, and I expect we'll see Cam Newton in the playoffs, maybe even as the five seed in the AFC. Do not roll out Cam Newton under any circumstances. And now we get to the fringe starter category. So these are guys who are technically starting quarterbacks, mostly on poor teams, but guys who are kind of just, we're waiting to see how things play out. So fringe starters would be Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Fitzmagic, and Marcus Mariota, which, by the way, a lot of these people are guys from last year's group of quarterback purgatory. Uh, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, that's quarterback purgatory from last year. Teddy Bridgewater was a fringe starter, but to be honest, he's still kind of in that fringe starter place, even though you know teams are starting to look for him as a, a nice level backup again. Uh, maybe like a Denver or something would go to him. Mariota just hasn't gotten the chance. I thought he would get the chance last year. Um, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, fringe starter to the day he dies. Just that is the picturesque version of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Is just a fringe starter, and uh, I'm glad that he'll be playing a little bit in Washington, barring Washington trading up to land one of these quarterbacks. Um, And Jared Goff is the newcomer to this list. Jared Goff went from, uh, he was in, what, tier three? And then he just kind of like jumped ship altogether. So Jared Goff is uh, definitely, definitely just skipped quarterback purgatory right to fringe starter. Just right to fringe starter for Jared Goff. And Jared Goff is just kind of a, an interesting place because the Lions don't expect to win, but I've talked about this a lot, is that Jared Goff is going to get the chance to make mistakes, and ultimately that might be the most beneficial thing to finding out what Jared Goff is at this point, is allowing him to make some mistakes and just roll with it and roll with the punches. He's going to get a go 5-11 and 11 no matter what, so we might as well just take some shots down the field with Anthony Lynn. Uh, and Jameis... At least Jameis is a starter. Like the Saints technically can win with Jameis because of how loaded that defense still is, even post free agency. But the Saints, 
Again, I think that Jameis Winston can have a Ryan Tannehill-type turnaround, and maybe I should have put him in quarterback purgatory because I'm a believer in Jameis, but Jameis is very clearly like teetering on the edge, especially with Taysom Hill just kind of hanging out over there like, yo, what's up? I'm Taysom Hill. I'm definitely a backup, but with a full season of first-team reps, maybe I too can be a fringe starter in the NFL. Who knows? But Jameis goes from quarterback purgatory to fringe starter after a season of not playing. Um, But we'll see. I have high hopes for Jameis Winston. I would put him in quarterback purgatory, and maybe I probably should have. Um, Now we get to the rest, which are the backups. And that is Drew Locke, Big Ben, Tyrod Taylor, Jalen Hurts, anyone else you can think of. Every other quarterback in the sport who's actually a backup is a backup quarterback. But Drew Locke should be a backup. Tyrod Taylor probably should be a backup. Big Ben should be a backup. Should be retired, to be quite frank. Big Ben should retire. Um, And everyone else. Jalen Hurts, backup quarterback. Sorry, Eagles fans. Maybe he should be in the too early to tell category, but him and Jordan Love are both uh, kind of in the same place where, yeah, sample size will determine things for Jalen Hurts. And the Eagles not being very good will determine that. Um, we'll see what Jalen Hurts looks like. Maybe next year Jalen Hurts will make it on the list. But for now, Jalen Hurts gets to be on the backups with everyone else. So that's our complete list, ladies and gentlemen. That is our complete list with Drew Locke and Big Ben, Tyrod Taylor. Everyone else gets to be a backup. That is our quarterback tiers list of 2021. And you can find this, of course, on comical underscore sports underscore memes. You can find the full list. Also, check out the cover art for today. If you're listening on Anchor or if you're listening on Spotify, you can find the full cover art with our quarterback tiers list. Um, If you look within the next week, you'll probably still be able to find the post. If not, scroll through comical sports memes. Look for that list. You'll find it at some point. I think you'll enjoy seeing it over and we'll hold on to it through the season and come back and reconvene uh, maybe around next April 11th if we still are doing this thing at the rate that we're doing it we shall see ladies and gentlemen thank you for stopping into wired up episode 68 we've been doing this wired up thing for a while here if you've got any new ideas for the show please feel free to send them in we are brainstorming we are coming up with fun different unique stuff maybe we'll have a partnership in the near future Uh, We shall see, but this has been a very, very fun week, everybody. Thank you again for stopping in. Uh, I would usually say take it easy, but this is wired up. So to that, I will say, enjoy your weekend, everybody. Go out and do something fun and check out Jay Williams' audiobook, Life is Not an Accident. And I'm not being paid to say that. I'm just a fan. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.